what you just said, man, about um, God is big enough for your for your doubt and for your question. Like, who do we think we serve? Who do we think we whose world do we think we live in? If if questions can't be asked or even seasons of doubt, the dude who went from faith to doubt and back to some measure of faith. But what type of God created this whole existence who is also so minuscule that if you go through the challenges and, and journeys of life, somehow he can't, he can't hold it together. You know, I think that was really important for people to, to hear. Oh. Some of people's one time. What up, what up, what up, ladies and gentlemen, you are back with Across the Intersection podcast. We in the building again. This is AJ. I'm in here with Eve and Avery. Hello. Hey, everybody. As always, please know you can check us out on social media, um, facebook.com slash across the intersection. Um, always hit us up there. We'll, we are very responsive. Thanks to our new uh, vice president in charge of social outreach. Uh, it's funny. Um, hit us up on Twitter at across this. Um, you can find our wonderful podcast disseminating on iTunes, Google Play Music, and for those of you who have neither of those, um, definitely hit us up on SoundCloud, um, across the intersection on all those platforms. Follow us individually. Um, I am at Divinimus on all uh, social media platforms. That's D-I-V-E-N-O-M-O-U-S. Um, Twitter, Facebook, Instagram. All of the above, um, and you could you can uh, read my little thoughts and comments, of which there are many, uh, on e to the v to the e over at Twitter. And I can be reached at on <clears throat> at a very good idea on Twitter. Yay yay! Twitter yeah. to give a shout out to Ice Cube, the new commissioner of Big Three. Right? Y'all watch that? You 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 watch the Big Three? Not really. Yeah, I you know I kind of you know <laughs> rolled over once or twice and saw it. <laughs> it looked like me and out e there playing ball. Yeah, <laughs> it's, it's a little yeah. it's a little sad. <laughs> Anywho, so guys, I don't know. This for me, this is like a little bit of a milestone. This is actually episode twelve. Um, this is a, a milestone for me. Um, so in celebration of this milestone we're going to switch up the format this week guys um normally we come out here and we give you a bunch of breaking news we get on our cnn and we give you a bunch of breaking news and we talk about stories in the paper and internet and what have you and we work to give you that christian perspective but i think we're going to switch it up a little bit this week we're going to talk a little bit about the nature of the podcast i guess we probably should do this in the first episode right um but it's all I'm good. different yeah i'm different what i'm different um and I want to just, you know, share with everybody who listens and we appreciate everybody who's listening on, you know, iTunes, Google, SoundCloud, all the above as a, you know, just to tell you why we even started this podcast. What was the intent? What was the purpose of it? Um, you know, give you a little bit of our journey and we're just going to sort of walk you through, you know, give you the this is the prequel episode. Um, this is the prequel. This is like a what's the Star Wars joint that happened after episode yeah, one? This is episode one. Episode here. one. So you, you've gotten episodes one through eleven. This is episode zero point one. <laughs> um, you know, I've just been having some conversations recently um, that really wanted me. You know, that really forced me to just refocus on this. Um, in in particular, um, it's it's because you know, for a lot of believers, a lot of Christians, a lot of people who ascribe 
to having faith. Um, there's a reconciliation that that must take place. Um, I've, I've had a lot of conversations just this year, you know, within the last calendar year of believers who have been struggling to reconcile, you know, their faith life, if you want to put it in air quotes, um, with their almost like their real life. Right. So I believe in God. I go to church, whatever, you know, read the Bible, all of that. But my community is in turmoil or my family's in turmoil or whatever's going on. I'm seeing all this stuff going on and I'm, I'm having a hard time reconciling the two. No one is speaking to how those two worlds can be reconciled. Almost to, you know, what what I ascribe it to is um, similarly, you know, I remember when the, the cross when it first came out. In late 90s, you know, when the cross when it first really came out. And one of their thrusts were to reconcile, right, the faith with those people who identify with hip hop culture. Because prior to that, you were either like just like a dude or somebody in hip hop culture or you were a Christian. There was no kind of meshing of those two worlds. And so one of their thrusts was really to mesh the, the, the two, show that the, the two could sort of exist in this sort of, you know, symbiotic relationship. And that they were existing in that relationship. The reality is when uh, when when hip hop came about, there were people who would later identify as Christians who were growing up with everyone else within that context. So I think that, you know, the, the, what the cross movement did is they said, actually, let's let's uh, formally allow right, those right. to collide so that people who are Christians, but then they also grow up within this new, you know, budding over the past couple decades, hip hop culture can actually know that they can be an organic you know, well-rounded person influenced in a lot of different ways. No, that's good. And and they can feel comfortable, you know, in Christian spaces. Like I can feel comfortable in Christian spaces being someone who identify with hip hop culture. That's a really good way to put it. And so for what what I've found, you know, for a lot of believers in, in this time, and I'd say over the last five years or so, is again, you're seeing that struggle to reconcile and feel comfortable in Christian spaces, maybe not identifying with evangelical conservative culture, right? Or identifying with traditional church culture, right? Now, you still you still read the Bible. You still want to believe God. You still want to see that. But you see all this stuff going on and you say, yo, I don't identify with any of that. Am I still a part of that, right? Am I a part of that? Because I don't identify with much of that. Yet and still, I would say that I'm a believer. I believe in Jesus, et cetera, et cetera. But I don't I, I don't ascribe to much of what I see is propagated as, quote unquote, this is, you know, Christendom. This is Christendom here. Um, and so a lot of people are struggling in that, you know, that that dichotomy in their own hearts. And so one of the things that I wanted to do with this podcast was to really speak to those people because. I myself at at one time was one of those people where you realize, hey, listen, I don't ascribe to a lot of what I'm seeing here, but I still ascribe to biblical truth. I still ascribe that God is real. You know, Lord, help me to un to, to reconcile these two worlds. And so that, you know, that was really behind the the heart of starting this podcast, that we would look at, you know, not just current events, but just mainline Christian thought. Right. And how Christians respond to things and how they should respond to things and helping people who don't identify culturally and don't have the ideology of 
the mainline, you know, Protestant or Catholic or Orthodox traditions, but still want to feel like they belong there. Let me ask you something, because I think the fundamentalist perspective with those two sides of identity would be a pushback against that. A fundamentalist would look at that and say, okay, you're a human being, you have faith in Christ, and you have a cultural identity. Or you, ha- you, be- you read the Bible, but then yes, you have uh, family and friends, you come from a, a historic context. And if you feel the need to, or if you're struggling with reconciling those two, why would you drop the temporal? I'm sorry, why would you drop the eternal instead of the temporal? You know, so some people who are struggling with this and don't necessarily know how they can reconcile their faith and their culture would drop the faith and, or they would question the faith Mm. instead of the culture. And I think that a fundamentalist pushback would be, okay, your, your culture is temporal. You know, you came into this world, here it is. When you leave, you'll leave it behind. Why in the world would you even consider dropping eternal faith instead of questioning your culture? That's that's an easy answer. The answer is, though our faith and though that life in Christ is eternal, our culture is who we are, right? I was in this culture before I met Christ. And so Christ doesn't come in and eradicate the culture. And so that's why the two must be reconciled. That's why when you see in the book of Acts, when Paul and Barnabas are in Antioch and those Jewish brothers come down and start telling Gentile people, Yo, you got to be you got to be circumcised. You you got to uh, ascribe to the law of Moses. Da, 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 da. Those people don't know that culturally. That's that's Jewish culture. So what they did was they tried to come down and on top of faith in Christ, tried to imprint Jewish cultural traditions. And so. What happened? They went at it with Paul and Barnabas because Paul's like, yo, we, we are dealing with Gentile peoples who don't come from that cultural tradition. They are coming from a completely different cultural context. And for a lot of Christians, what we end up doing is we meet people who come from a completely different cultural context and they may come to know Christ or whatever, right? However, however they meet the Lord and, uh, you know, Initially, it's like, yo, this is enough. This is it. I'm going to take Christ and I'm going to express it in my cultural context. But then we, then we come, Christians, we come. Whoa, 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 whoa. You have to express it this way. You have to do it this way. And for a lot of people, you know, that their culture is who they are. And so what you what you are in essence telling them is who you are, right? Not because... We try to make culture like it's this thing off in the corner, like it's this, you know, monster in the closet. But really, it's us. We are the culture. We are culture. So faith is not who you are? The way it's expressed. That's what I mean. Faith is not this thing. It's an unknowable thing until I see it expressed in the flesh. Like, what is love until I see love? So we say these things, but faith is this unseeable thing. Until I see it expressed in the life of a person in a particular cultural context, then I see, oh, that's what faith looks like. Okay, so what should reconcile itself to what? Should it be the culture that submits to the faith or should it be the faith that submits to the culture? Because the people you're talking about that kind of sparked off your interest in starting this podcast, and there are many people who struggle with this. Um, instead of just continuing to struggle to reconcile those two, they end up dropping one of them. And the one that they tend to drop would be the faith. 
or at least they drop most of their expression of it. Well, My no, question you, you would see be both. Okay, so you okay? All right, go ahead. One of Avery's favorite words is cognitive dissonance. How many people do we know that it walk in that, and they have completely forsaken their own culture? And you can look at them and like, yo, you're fake. You're you're not a real person. Like I like I knew you when you know what I mean. It's not a sin thing. We're talking just strictly how they identify culturally, and you'll see them. And in in order to fit into those spaces, they have to shed some things. Well, fundamentalist POV, fundamentalist point of view is um, I. I mean, I would, I will argue that um, you can't necessarily separate the two. I, I, I will argue that to say to abandon one culture for or abandon the temporal for the eternal is is uh, is a cultural choice as well. Uh, I would say that a fundamentalist lives in a particular culture. Right. Uh, I would say that a fundamentalist, whether I guess it's reformed or Calvinist or fill in the blank of however many fall under that, fall under that, um, fall under that camp, you know, I would argue that that's a culture in and of itself. And there's this mindset, there's this, there's this, um, there's this uh, myopia that takes place within humans that we have. It's very easy for us to see where somebody else is going wrong, but it's very difficult for us to see where we're going wrong. There's a word that I actually picked up from um, a, a while ago from someone where it's called a syncretism. And the word uh, means uh, synchristic or uh, syncretistic. Uh, and what it means is, is when uh, one mixes something with something else mm -hmm. and passes along that, uh, passes along whatever it is that they're delivering as something that is uh, truth, but it's also mixed, something else is mixed in it that's more opinion. Uh, so, for example, when um, that same mindset of, uh, of, of, of event, well, evangelism that was taking place uh, within the United States and when it came to uh, evangelizing and proselytizing um, Native Americans or indigenous Americans, and it wasn't just limited to them, it's us too, but for this example, I'm talking about uh, indigenous Americans or First Nations, whatever you want to call them, uh, and it was this idea of adopting them and taking them out of... Um, take, Savagery. Yeah, yeah, right, exactly, taking a child, because the British did it to... Um, the British did it to the Aborigines as well uh, yep. in in Australia. Australia yeah. yeah, and it was you adopt a you you adopt a child, you put them in this church or this school rather, but the school was run by nuns or run by maybe here it wasn't necessarily nuns because that would be Catholic, but uh, it was still same umbrella. Yeah, same, same, umbrella, same, same umbrella, same umbrella, right? Uh, Millerites or whatever it is you want to call them. Uh, they they would uh they would they would they would catechize them along with teaching them how to read so and that's the syncretism part so you did teach someone something valuable right um i guess you could debate the value but uh you taught them taught them how to read how to use a fork how to use a spoon how to wear a tie how a a a, a girl would wear a dress right um but uh with that, you you taught them that their culture was savage and they're of the devil and they need to be, you know, 
um, believe this particular thing, and when they believe civilized. this particular they thing, they need to be, need to be civilized. civilized. Yeah. Part of the civilization is just, is this faith, but along with this faith comes all these other things, all constructs, constructs yeah. that are not of the faith. Yep. I read a book like that. It, it, it was called a. Uh, There's a book by a brother named Richard Twist. He was a Native American brother. It's called One Nation, Many Tribes, and he literally speaks to that. He was like when Christian missionaries would come to reservations and they would introduce Jesus, the native peoples actually didn't have no beef with Jesus. They're like, oh, because they could understand the concept of a creator. Oh, okay, we can jive with that. But it's when you came in and started to carve away at who they were as people, the culture, all of what you just said. That's where the beef comes in. But then the Christian response to that is, oh, see, because you you have the devil. It's like, no, I just don't want you to continually rip away everything that makes me me. So, so and, and to be clear, what does culture mean? How we view the world, how we perceive life, you know, our value structure, our heroes, food, clothing. Well, you know, language. There are language. a lot of aspects of culture. Yeah. Is it, I, I'm, you, you brought up language. You brought up food. I thought that was very powerful. Because um, I think that when we say culture, like there's these even this pop cultural term for the culture, for the culture, right? Which is a name of a of an album, and it's this idea that it's just like the type of music you listen to, and the type of clothes that you wear, and 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 slang, and that's pretty much the definition of culture, and that's not. That's a very small piece. Like, you know, your culture, your culture is in many ways influenced by your geographic location, right? Your body is influenced by your geographic location and type of food that you eat, the, the color of your skin, okay. mm-hmm. the yeah. curl of your hair, the curl of your hair now, the base in your voice versus not the base in your voice. Men's roles, women's roles, family structures. Family structure, men's roles, women's roles, the kinds of households, yes, that you've lived into, like that you've lived in, all those things. The curl of your hair dictates the kind of stuff you put in your hair, which dictates the conversations that you have, which dictates the purchases that you make. It's it's more than just I listen to rap music and let me or or let me black Black Lives Matter. Oh, let's just all hold our hands and sing along and just love each other. Put the faith before the coat. It's more than that. So that's why the whole thing about abandoning your culture for the for the, or the temporal for the eternal there's there's some there's some uh, there's some truth but i wouldn't necessarily say that like you know it's this it's all true so so the if argument. culture so if culture really is a both and for example some people would say religion is a part of culture so all of these categories mm-hmm. that we have where we mention music family structure geographic location some people will say religion is in there and everything mm-hmm. so um if it's if it is a false not that you called it this but it, it, it if if it is arguably a false dichotomy then what is the problem that these folks that you've been speaking with have been having because the the majority culture would say all of the things that make you you, right? Whatever that is. Which includes your faith, if, yeah. if faith is part of culture. See, but that's the problem when we, when we express it differently, right? When, when, when we express it differently, then it's almost like it's looked at differently. So your faith is not my faith because you express it in a particular way. You know, I've gone to 
Christian meetings on Native American reservations and to see the way they express their faith, I know there would be many in mainline traditional Christian ways of thought would say, this is not how you express Christian faith. Can you give an example? Now, I don't mean, I don't know if you have it off the dome, but is there an example so that I can, and that if, we can understand what what form of expression would fall in, would cause somebody else to say, to go beyond the basics, the fundamentals of the faith and jump to something cultural and say, oh, that make that, that precludes a person from being a Christian. Got you. So most of us know a lot of church folk, right? I'm going to give you two examples. First example is as someone who, you know, I'm kind of floating in and out of being an artist anymore, but as someone who was an artist at one point and did Christian music, did rap, church people literally telling you this cannot be Christian music because of the way it's expressed, right? People I know, per, like people I knew persons like, yo, AJ, I know you and I don't understand why you do that because the two in their mind are irreconcilable. That's one example. Second example, I've, like I said, I've, I've been to native Christian meetings and they would say, we're going to worship. We're going to have a little bit of, we're going to play some worship music. When I say the two words worship music, we instantly think of something in our minds of what worship music is. In their minds, it's different. So fire is lit like a campfire. There's drums, there's feathers, and they're dancing and chanting and stomping around the fire. To them, they're worshiping God right now. Now, for me, the first time I experienced it, I was kind of like, wow. I was taken aback for a minute like because that was a new thing for me. But I could dig it. I'm like, you know what? That's, that is them expressing worship to the creator right, in their cultural context. And so it took me a minute to sort of adjust in my own mind because in my own mind, that was new. I'm like, oh, okay. But I could understand that. Now, if I were to tell them, yo, you need to put that down. You need to get some turntables. You know what I'm saying? Because this is how we do it in D.C. That would be completely wrong of me to tell them that what, they're, what they are expressing is not true Christian faith. And that's where the reconciliation has to take place because that's where you have hundreds of thousands of people existing right now because they live in one context in their life. They meet Christ, they embrace it, they accept it. But the majority of the people who also accept Christ would then tell them everything that makes you you cannot come into this space. So then what do I do? I can't, I literally would have to jump off a bridge to leave the temporal. That's why I, I agree with you saying like just leaving the temporal quote unquote is not as easy as we would think because the temporal is me. I would have to just kill myself because everything that makes me me is what that is what that culture is. And so that's why you find a lot of people say, yo, you know what? I'll just back up off this Christian thing. I just became a Christian five years ago. You know what? But I've been living for 40 years or whatever. And you're telling me everything that makes me me can't exist in this space. All right, well, then I'm, I'm good on the space. Christians can't do that. Like, we have to be able to become all things to all men. And the, the easy cop-out answer for most of Christendom has been, oh, see, the reason you don't want to get rid of the temple is because you're a heathen. You're going to hell anyway. And so what do you have? You have people just walking away. I love the scripture where it says that the name of God is blasphemed among the Gentiles because of you people. And Paul is talking to Roman Christians when he says that. Now, why would the name of God be blasphemed among Gentiles because of Christian people? Obviously, because of the way Christian people behave. Our behavior says to the unbeliever, yo, I'm better off just doing me. 
than even bothering with any of that. So there are a lot of people that I, I, I know I've come across in the last calendar year who are existing in, in, in that place. And you want to speak to them. You want at least uh, there to be something in the podcast world that says, okay, you're not by yourself. You live in a whole world right. full of people who are who have that sort of struggle and, and who, um, when they go into a church building every Sunday, are you know, shifting from one side, from one leg to the next because somebody, you know, like John MacArthur or or somebody else that we really, 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 really respect will come out of their mouth and 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 deny institutionalized um, realities um, and, and in favor of quote unquote the gospel, which of course is a chopped to pieces gospel because the gospel is whole and organic. But what they'll do is they'll take a couple of sentences in the New Testament and say that's the gospel. And if somebody's being persecuted by the police or if there are systemic issues that bring a higher percentage of poverty to one group rather than the other up, oh, that's something else. It's not, you know, something that I need to address. So there are people who are, who every Sunday will go to a church building and, and be in an environment that they feel obligated to because of their faith, but their faith or a few sentences in the new Testament is the only thing they have in common with the person preaching to them. And even some of the people sitting around them, um, every Sunday. So it sounds like, you know, that was really on your heart in terms of across the, uh, across the intersection and creating, you know, something that is cr- across the intersection right. cross between the two. Intersections, yeah. So anyway, for, you know, for all of you folks out there listening, just know that's our intent here to speak to that segment of the population, because I think that it gets overlooked um, I think that it gets brushed aside because it's not the majority. I think at some point it will become the majority, but that's you know another discussion for another day. Um, and do know that you are not alone. It is not a struggle and not things that you wrestle with that you have to wrestle with alone. Hey, listen, if you want to hit me up, you can hit me up um, and we could rap about it. Um, but do know that you're not alone and that there are others who are wrestling with those same types of thoughts and concepts and are continuing to transition up, you know, along this Christian journey. Yeah, so in terms of yeah, in terms of the that sort of struggle. Um, I don't know that I'm someone uh, who has struggled quite in that way, but there is a narrative to my journey in Christ that I think makes me uh, someone who likes to chime in on a lot of uh, Christian worldview uh, perspectives of what's going on in society right now. And um, also because I grew up in a in a household where my father and mother taught my brother and I to think critically. Uh, this is something that's gone in and out of my journey in Christ uh, uh, throughout the last you know decade or so. And so the reason that I was really happy to join this group of people uh, doing this particular podcast, first of all, yes, I do like to talk about a lot of different things. And in fact, I just do like to talk. Okay, boom. Most people know this who know me. But not just sort of blabbing different things, but really about 
the issues of our day, but also their meaning. And then of course their historic context. I went to Hampton for history. You know, I'm a history buff. I just, and not only that, I just like to understand what's going on based on that context. You know, there's, there's a background, there's a backdrop to everything. Mm-hmm. So if we just kind of wake up and think that we live in an, in an environment that we live in without there being a basis for it or without there being a reason for it, we actually just do not understand ourselves or our environment and we're kind of living blindly. We're living with, with maybe one or two inches of vision and expecting to live a full life. And I think that makes no sense. So it's really important to have that, that backdrop. Um, and that's why I bring history to the, to the conversation. Um, yes, yes, you know more than most of us. Yeah, <laughs> whatever. So, you know, but that's just, that's really, there's, there's something called um, uh, phenomenology uh, that I learned in grad school, which is, which really is um, the lived experience. And, and the, the importance of that is just to, to know, in part it's to know why, uh, and, and to actually live through something with someone, but to kind of have a, a better understanding of it through that experience. So anyway, I'm saying all this to say, over the course of the past decade plus, um, my experience in Christ has, has been twofold at various churches and at various stages of life. One side of it has been indoctrination, honestly. Now, I don't think indoctrination is negative all the time. Right. I think that there's some things that are objective truth. Not everybody believes that objective truth exists. And I can understand why they don't, because we, as human beings, only see 5% of light. So, like, we don't, you know, we're just like these gnat, these gnats who really don't see anything. When they're when gnats are floating around in our ears and, and noses, and we're like, what is, what's wrong with them? Why would they fly into a big nose? They do not see the way that we see. Right. So... You know, we're like them. We see 5% of all, all uh, parts of the light spectrum. So we don't know much of anything at all, actually, with respect to um, our reality. So I don't think there's any, I think that there's some things that are um, objective truth, but I don't think it's everything. And I can understand people who, who think that a lot of things are subjective. Right. Nevertheless, for part of my time uh, in Christ, I have been just wanting to be a pupil and say, look, I don't know everything, so teach me. You know, if Christ is eternal, if the creator of this this world is eternal, I want to be in submission to and, and on the same table as that, you know, existence, that God, instead of, you know, bumping into brick walls all the time, not following his law or his commandments. No, if he created this, you know, place, this this, you know, world, then I want to be aligned with that. So there is a place for that. So that's been part of it. But the other part is, as I told you earlier, I grew up in a household where we, my brother and I were taught to think critically. And I think that's really valuable. And so there have been times where I've actually been able to step back and look at what I have been doing to this indoctrination or to what I've been taught from a more objective perspective and a more critical perspective. And that's caused me to kind of formulate what I think truth to be. It's caused me to leave churches. It's caused me to join other churches to make transitions in life. And that's where I am right now. You know, I'm in one of those, those critical spaces where I'm looking at the scripture differently. You know, I'm looking at the old Testament and determining if 
what it says in scripture, God changes not, is actually true. If he does not change, then he's the God of the Old Testament and the New. If the New Testament is basically a commentary of the Old, which I believe for the most part it actually is, and the scripture is written in the Old Testament about who God is and why he's here and and redemptive history and what he's trying to do to reconcile man to himself, I want to know who that God is and what he expects of us. And so right now I'm in a season where I'm really doing a lot more exploration of that. The Ten Commandments, the Fourth Commandment, the one that people try to push to the side because they've changed the day of rest for some reason to Sunday. And I know there's history behind that. You know, why is it that the fourth is dropped when thou shalt not murder isn't? You know, you should honor your father and your mother so your days will be long. But for some reason, oh, I don't know too much concerning, I'm not really going to follow the parts about not making uh, graven images, you know, like we see in Catholic and other uh, Orthodox churches, etc. So I'm really trying to be actually a Bible purist <laughs> um, because I think that either we're going to believe what that book or collection of books and its um, ousted books <laughs> says or we're not. read this book and after having uh, read the book it was suggested to me from a friend of mine uh, my wife and I we read it together and it was like we read this book and I felt that this book articulated a lot of what I could not articulate although I saw it and I felt it um, and it and it impacted me, but I couldn't, I really couldn't put my finger on why I felt the way I felt. Uh, after having served in the church, uh, non-denominational church for like seven years at that time, which is like a hundred years, <laughs> you know, when you're in your twenties, right. um, from when the church was founded up until it probably qualified as a mega church. Uh, and uh, I read this book and I was like wow this explains why I would feel so empty after a church service you know like I did everything that one is um, challenged to do when they're serious about their faith right I mean, not just evangelism, uh, but also serving in the church, being a greeter, right? Which is the <laughs> non-denominational word for usher, <laughs> not the singer. Welcome to Walmart. <laughs> Welcome to Walmart. That's exactly right. Exactly. You just don't have the white gloves uh, when you're- Oh, good. they shamed on the gloves? Oh. Yeah. Well, you didn't have to dress up. You, you know. Yeah. I was a greeter. I would help see people. Also helped to collect the offering. Also helped to count the money uh, after church service. I also held the door when people were leaving. I also volunteered uh, as in the in the youth ministry, and I can I can remember clear as day. Just like after everything was said and done, just like 
the crickets and the tumbleweeds that were going through um, my heart. And it didn't, it, 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 it wasn't that anybody hurt me in particular. It wasn't that. It was the experience, the experience of church, the, of, of, of serving, and how, how night and day it was. How everything was quiet up until the service started. Then it was like, dun, 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 dun. I mean, you know, whatever. Oh, 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 you know, you need blah, 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 blah. Ooh, clap, say yeah, you know, whatever. Got so noisy till it was time to go. Then it was quiet again. And it was like all these life changing things that are supposed to take place. But I just felt like after all these years, I really didn't see much change really taking place within the community in which that I was serving. Uh I can I remember the scripture it was in 1st Samuel, no, maybe it was 1st Kings. I'm sure somebody here can correct me. <laughs> and it was um Elijah when Elijah was very um he was being he was he was God, he 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 ran away, something along those lines. So he was tired, and he had a mission. I don't know if he ran away from the mission. I just know he was tired. And then, like some lightning hit a mountain, and then the 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 passage says that God wasn't in the mountain, you know. And then like all these rocks have fell down, all this all these rocks, and it said, but God wasn't in the rocks. Mm. And then something caught on fire, but God wasn't in the fire. Uh, and then he was in front of this cave, and then he went into this cave, and it said, and in the cave, there was a still small voice. And in the cave, that was, that was God. And I, for a long time, um, I always, I, it, it just, I understood in theory that, you know, God wouldn't necessarily be. It was First Kings, by the way. It was First Kings, thank you. It 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 uh I understood I understood uh from that passage that um God was in the silent things. And so if God was in the silent things, then why was why why was this why was my church experience so noisy? You know? And so mm. and so anyway, I read this book and um this book was like okay so it started to give me an understanding of what church was what and was the book the book is called pagan christianity oh. and um with a question mark at the end <laughs> right with a question mark at the end and right um and what was interesting about what it is that i read what it was interesting about what it is that i read was for the most part, it started to break down the differences between what uh, the church is described as biblically versus the 501c3 um, nonprofit institution, or American Christianity, really. Like Basically, it's like two churches. Well, Western. Let's Western, call it Western yeah, Christianity. Western Christianity is like two churches. Now, mind you, I did go to college. I did um, take some Bible courses. I did study some history i had some understandings but i thought this was uh interesting um it's not a it's it's not a you know 
like it's part of my journey, you know. It's like I think there's some faults with the with the book. Um, I don't necessarily. Uh, it's not a full endorsement, but I think that you know what book is. I think that it was necessary in order to ask questions, questions that nobody's ever raised to me, really. Um, and certainly I just didn't have the words to raise those questions. I would wonder how come I would read the Bible, I see one thing, but then I look up and I see us practicing stuff that's like just completely off, you know, this routine. Also, after serving in a church for uh, some years, um, when you go in, when you go and you come, you come and you go, you just visit, you just get what it is that you need and then leave just to come back on the next Sunday and you do that. Uh, you don't really get the full experience as to when you're actually involved. When you're involved, you see the man behind the curtain or the people behind the curtain and you see the, you know, you see the levers getting pulled, you know, you see how contracts are negotiated, you see where the money, it goes um, you see how bank accounts work for churches. Uh, you you know you you see all these things, and you either you either get with the program or you don't. And I didn't. I didn't want to get with the program. I thought that that was it was a show. I mean, I know and I'm I've been in entertainment a little bit. I know what a show is when I see it. And so um, anyway, it was a a very. Uh, challenging journey to go through during that time um i had someone with me and that was my wife uh and so we i started to step away from um the normative practices of uh, church culture which is going to church and coming home and uh, uh the small groups and all of those uh extra church things that are put together to have um, community yeah there you go um, community, we backed away and then we started to seek out what was called at the time a more organic expression of faith, a more organic fellowship. And so we were doing that for a little bit. Uh, definitely had some experiences. Um, again, it allowed, it really challenged our faith. Uh, some, uh, my wife got sick and she ended up passing away and that was in, um, 2011. And I think at that point in time, it was, it was tough because here it is that I had uh, like my closest confidant, my closest confidant, and we were dealing with something so, so um, uh, central to our existence, you know, which is faith, something that we took so important, um, and now it was just me, and that was something that nobody. You know, very few people, very few people, uh, and with emphasis, uh, especially very few people who, um, very few of my faith cohorts could identify with, you know, and the church could really identify with. Uh, people did what they could. Uh, some people did what they could. Uh, some people really helped out uh, on the financial standpoint, and I really appreciate that. My home church, uh, they helped out a lot on that level. Uh, I do think that speaking to the situation, though, uh, I think that there was a great, uh, great void. Um, not necessarily when I, not just necessarily my home church, because it's not an attack on my home church, but I, I, but it's more so an indictment on the Christian community in general 
uh, and their uh, lack of ability to speak on deep things such as widowhood, uh, such as somebody young dying uh, from something that uh, that, you know, they didn't necessarily didn't they didn't deserve it all you know and um and then me having to it's not you know it's it's easy when it's somebody else and then they look into the situation they could turn away and then they can go about their business but I have to live it uh and so uh I just found like it was very 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 difficult time during my life and um I I remember I was traveling at one point I was in uh, Vegas, right? I was in Las Vegas, and I remember I was in the airport, and I remember I was just feeling so sad. And there's, I think I, I, you know, I may have teared up a little bit. Some some dude walks by, and we got to talking. You know, I think uh, I think I told him I was a believer. He was like, "Oh, I could smell it." Um, and so he was like, "Yo." You need to check out this song, man. It's called Beautiful Things. I was like, okay. And he was like, yeah, yeah. Check it out, man. It's by this group. I was like, all right. So I looked up the song on my phone at the time. He had left by that by that point. I started listening to it, and it was my life. And I started crying in the airport straight up. And that was in 2012. Uh, and it changed my life. It changed my perspective uh, because it was like actual words, actual words that articulated um, where I was post basically my life falling apart. Honest artistry, right? Yeah. You know, and <laughs> most, and I feel comfortable saying most, most believers. Um, devoted believers, at least most that I've seen, I interacted with, in this area, have an ideal view of what life is supposed to be like. And they they cannot function outside of that ideal view. Yep, me. And, and so when when one is presented to them that doesn't fit into that ideal view, then that person, something's wrong with that person. Um. There's no, it doesn't even cross their mind that the person in which that they're looking at could be them at some point, or that person, like they could be in that person's shoes, or that person maybe could have been in their shoes before. Uh, there's a there's a view that that person is, you know, they need to just um, uh, something's something's wrong. They need to they need to grow. You know, and and so and so anyway, uh, the the I started I got the album. I listened to the music. I was like, yo, this is great. I'm, and I started researching the band more, came across a podcast and that podcast is where they it was about is one of the band members and this other guy. This other guy was a Christian. Then he turned Then he was an atheist. Then he became a Christian again. So his faith was established then it was lost then it was you know it was um it was it was resolved so to speak i mean you know he grew more uh and but his faith was different than what it was before his his um you know his uh his loss and 
they said at one point, um, they said in person because I attended a conference that they put together. It was really cool. That uh, said that a lot of people think that uh, unbelief, like doubt is the opposite of unbelief. Mm. Doubt is the opposite of belief, excuse me. Um, like that's what we're taught as Christians that doubt is the opposite of belief. So when you shouldn't doubt because if you doubt, something's wrong with you, right? Like you're going to lose your salvation. You're going to go to hell, really. That's the, that's really the ultimate fear, right? But basically the ultimate fear is that you're going to be cast out the group. That's really what it is. Mm. And um, But he was like, you know, um, the opposite of doubt is not belief. The opposite of doubt is certainty. And so... Like, the opposite of doubt is saying, well, I know it all. No, I know. I know. No, that's it. it that's the opposite of doubt. I was like, eh, no, let me think about it son. And so it really opened me up. And he was like, you know, and he was basically quoting something that he had read. But 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 the bottom line was that God, God is big enough for our doubt. Yep. And, yep. you know, we really, we try to fit God into our constructs. Really, God is so, so infinite. And, you know, the only word we can put together is like mega gigantic, but he was really, you know, God, the term God is really all those things that we can't articulate. So we use this term God, um, but that's how big God is. So he's big enough for our doubt. He's big enough for our unbelief. He's big enough for pretty much any and everything that we throw at this being. And so uh, when when I when I heard that, that just really clicked for me, and I really appreciated it. And then I think that it was after that, and that was like four four years, three three years, three four years after, three or four years after I became a widow, you know. So that I that I that I had heard that, and then started to become a little bit more comfortable in um, where I was in my life, and so I really appreciated it. Uh, What's the name of the group? The Liturgist. Okay. Yeah. It's a podcast called The Liturgist. Uh, oh, the name of the group? Yeah. Sorry. The the podcast is called The Liturgist. The band the band is called Gungor. Mm. So, the band is called Gungor. And, uh, and so, where I am now, where I am now is, uh, you know, I mean, I'm, I, I view me, I view me as ever growing. Um, I'm not, I, I don't necessarily like to label myself as a, as a Christian. Um, although for the sake of conversation, I might be like, depending on who I'm talking to, you know, um, there's certain, I might just go with it for, for the sake of the communication. Um, but for the most part, uh, I believe I accept my, you know, all right. I had a friend. Uh, him and he was very faithful. Um, we grew up in the in the faith together, and uh, very very faithful guy. Uh, but I think that we would come to different conclusions. He, um, we talk about faith and culture. Um, he was the kind of person that sought and sought more for like this whole pure Christianity. That's what he would say, right? To the point where he did also, you know, he got to the to the the commandments in the old testament. 
All right, but he didn't stop at the Ten Commandments. He went to like the mo the all the other commandments as well, right? So you are talking about seven hundred total, seven hundred and twelve, six hundred something, six hundred and twelve. Half of which belong to women, but either way, it's hundreds of commandments. Yeah, there you go. Yeah, so he 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 actually started to more and more try to follow those things. And the more I studied it, and the more I, I would have conversations with him, uh, the more I realized that. Um, it was it was my understanding that you couldn't couldn't follow all those, um, but he he felt like well he could try, and I think at that point I started to realize like I started to accept my humanity more that um, my faith is my own, like you know even if I tried right like. To oh, for a specific example, um, you the 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 law in which um, you should not start a fire on the Sabbath, and whether or not that was about intent or whether or not that was about that was direct, and you can argue it both ways. Nobody knows now. Um, but my view was was like you know well you're going the literal way right because it's a law. He was like, yeah, but it it might not be right. So I'm like, okay, so do you light a fire or not? Do you drive your car? Do you use use your oven? He was like, well, just to be safe, we don't do anything. And I'm like, well, hold up, just to be safe. So do you believe it or do you not believe it? And well, I believe it. Okay, so what if you were in Alaska? Because there's people in Alaska right now, and it's cold on the Sabbath. Should they light a fire? Should they not light a fire? Well, or it's people in Baltimore right now when it's cold during the wintertime in a abandoned, you know, in a house without like, should they light a fire? Not light a fire? And we just, it was just this this theoretical, theological debate that just went in, and you know, I just kind of got to a point where. I realized that, you know, in the end, I'm a human being and, um, you know, uh, my faith, my faith is my own. And it's like, you know, it has to be configured. We all configure our faith, our faith to work with us. Just like he was doing, he's configuring his faith on the Sabbath to, well, just in case I'm not going to light this fire, even though I really don't know. He's configuring it for him. He didn't know what to do. Um, so this idea that we know exactly what to do all the time, I just think that is actually not true. Um, our faith, we configure, we configure our faiths, um, and I accepted the fact that you know that I that I have to configure mine to make sense for me. So, um, so yeah. So where I am right now is I'm, you know, I I uh, still trying to still trying to understand because understand because I'm a seeker and that's my that's my that's how I'm designed, but. Um, yeah, I believe, uh, I accept that I believe in the biblical narrative because it was what I was, what I was taught. Uh, but uh, I understand that there's a lot that, that I don't know. Uh, and, and, um, and yeah, so that's, that's why I am.
So, I mean, for me, um, you know, just where where I've been, um, oh, man, it's probably been close to 10 years now, probably close to 15. Um, just where, you know, where I've been, you know, I didn't, I didn't grow up in church. Um, I'm, I met the Lord in, in, in undergrad, you know, in, in college, freshman year of college and, um, you know, did what most, you know, young people who wanted to do Jesus did. You started going to church and I went to like a Bible study on the campus and, you know, eventually was like leading the Bible study a couple of years later. Um, and, you know, did, did all of that. And, but like most you know, and, 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 I, and I will say most, some suppress it, others explore it, um, is we get to a point of disillusion. You know, you realize you, you become disillusioned with church. You, we, we do. You know, for, for those of you who are listening, I know that that's a, a crossroads for many people. Um, I, I think the, the, the prophet Joel talks about in chapter two says, you know, my, my people, my people are in the valley of decision. Um, and so there are a lot of times where we have to make serious decisions about our faith. This is why I think the Bible even talks about in Jude where it says examine yourself to see if you are still in faith. You have to examine yourself because in, in our hearts we come to these places. And I think for me it was in the early 2000s where I got to that place of disillusionment. Um, just realizing, hey, what what we are calling quote unquote, you know, and I'm, I'm using air quotes Obviously, y'all can't see that um, church is not what was intended by the Lord. You know, I'm I'm fully, you know, fine in saying that. Um, now we can continue to persist in that, right? How many of us drive our car with the engine light on? That's not the way it was meant to go, but we just keep going, right? For whatever reason, you ain't got the money. You know what I'm saying? Whatever, you don't have the time to go to the shop. You just keep going with the engine light on. Um, so we can we can be honest, you know, or I know that I can be honest enough and say that the way in which we do church, you know, Western church, quote unquote, um, is not the original intent. And so how my journey sort of took me here is is opening me up to those spaces where you begin to let not I'm not gonna say like let other things in, but you begin to contemplate other things right you begin to weigh things i think you know, the bible talks about weighing things out in heart weighing it out in spirit and so you would contemplate other things and you know some of the things that we were talking about earlier before um before the show is you know i might piss some people off with this but you know so so be it this this whole notion of of sola scriptura um the the printing press was invented in the 15th century so for at least a millennia you know for at least a thousand years you know more than that but at least a thousand years there were christians thriving and living and you know the church is exploding without the mass production of written text um but again, that that is a uh, something that you have to contemplate because, like what even, like like what you said about indoctrination, we get indoctrinated like that, and so we can't think that there can be life and thriving outside of that concept. Now, I understand grace comes by faith alone in Christ. That is, you know, in, inherent in this entire discussion. So I'm not going to go and sort of rehash that. But for my own personal journey, I had to contemplate other things. Now, for those of you who don't know, I was an ordained elder in an actual church. Um, 
and now I'm not, <laughs> right? And it had nothing to do with sin and you know what Christians love to call moral failings. I think that's just such BS. It's like, dude, you was sinning. You was, you know what I'm saying? You was, you was doing dirt. You just didn't want to say it. So we call it moral failings. Um, so it wasn't for that, you know, I, we, myself and the senior pastor, we actually closed down our church. We decided to do so because we realized what we were doing, building this institution, building this organization was in direct opposition to what the Bible lays out as the community of the, of believers. Now that course of action is a rarity. Yeah. Now you you know, for us, we could make that decision because what we felt like we were doing, quote unquote, for the Lord, um, it didn't put food on my table. Um, you know, I went to undergraduate and I went to graduate school. Beating people over the head with the Bible don't put food on my table. I understand there are cats that got to live like that. And so they have some other decisions to make. You know, honestly, I feel sorry for them <laughs> that you painted yourself into that corner. But, you know, um, Again, I told you I pissed people off. <laughs> you know, I'm supposed to be talking about my journey. I'm sorry. My, my, my cartoon, you know, I had there's a cartoon that just shows somebody painting themselves <laughs> into that corner. <laughs> corner, and then they're stuck because they decided to pay for, you know, to, to to feed themselves off of the gospel. It's not against the law, but you can paint yourself into a corner. Now, I think it's possible. I just don't think it's possible within the current church structure. Now, I can tell you about myself. So where I, where am I now? There are, you know, there are a few books I'm reading. I just was just pulling up my Kindle library to, you know, share with you guys. Um, one book that's really been eye-opening for me is um, Af- How Africa Shaped the Christian Mind by Thomas Oden. I'd encourage you to read um, Birth of a Holy Nation by Dr. Corbett Galden. Uh, read My Father, My Father by Sam Solon. Um, uh, Death of Hip Hop, Marriage and Morals by Brady Goodwin. Fanatic. Shout out to the fanatic. Um, so those are just a lot of the books that I would recommend for people who are at least beginning to contemplate some different things. Um, because where I am now, honestly, and I was telling the guys before we started to record, what I do now, anything that is that Christians try to organize I'm 99.9% you know, suspect of it because I think that things as it pertains to God and his kingdom are inherently unorganized, not without order, but they're not organized in the way that we think organization. Um, institutionally. You know, yeah, institutionally, God has a particular structure and a particular way in which he puts things together. The Bible says his ways are not our ways, yet we time and time again try to force his ways into our ways. And so what I like to do is say, okay, let's see how this develops organically. Because like you both said, God can sit back and let something develop organically because he controls all. So nothing's going to get out of hand where he cannot control it. You know, even war in heaven, if you think about the origin of existence, you know, life, one of the first things that happened in existence was war. (laughs) Literally, existence started with a war in heaven, and that was not outside of God's control. So why would any of these things that go on in life be outside of his control? So I look at Christian organization, Christian institution through through much scrutiny because I feel that Christians try to organize things that are supposed to be 
not organized through you know the way we think organization with order i believe the bible talks about order but the what we think is order and what i think god thinks is order are two starkly different things and so, so institutionalization is not necessarily of order not. okay no. the you know romans 12 and i'll and i'll stop with this romans 12 where it talks about don't be conformed right but be transformed we all understand what conformity is you know you take something and you make it into the shape of the thing right next to it, and then you make the next thing into that same shape. Well, transformation is something different, where you actually are organically allowed to become the thing that you were supposed to become. Um, that is the difference, that your mind is renewed and you are allowed to transform into what you're meant to become, not be conformed even into a sort of religious sort of picture. Um, and I think that, that mindset must come from the contemplation of other things. Um, I, I have to, you know, and I I could talk about this for six hours, um, but we have to contemplate other things because there are other things outside of the current church structure, current church institution in its various forms, whether it's Roman Catholicism, um, the Protestant Reformation, all of the subsequent denominations, they have all kept the same structure. Nothing has changed about the structure. We change what we call people. We change how we do stuff. We might change what we wear, but the structure has remained primarily undisturbed. I don't call you a priest anymore. I just call you a pastor, right? But the structure hasn't changed. There's still leadership and lay people, archbishops and this and that and the third and this church over that church. The structure is the same. Martin Luther could have nailed the 995 theses on the wall. The structure never changed. So that's why I look at church, you know, Christian organizations and Christian things that are organized very with, with a, a lot of scrutiny because I understand that God allows things to develop organically. You know, God doesn't come and bring all of this sort of layer, you know, layer upon layer upon layer. It's us who, who puts these layers. And so for me to be able to get to the place and the space that I'm in now, I had to peel off a lot of layers, contemplate a lot of different things. Um, under, you know, in, in the midst of accountability, I don't think these things are done individually. That's, I think, where Avery and I might differ. I don't think that this is done completely isolated by myself. Um, if I wasn't accountable, you know, to people, I think I might have been out in Zubilee Zoo somewhere. Um, but because I still remained accountable to people who discipled me personally, it helped to not allow me to go so far um, off the deep end where you got people who think that, you know, Jesus is just you know, the story of Horus. And it's, you know, what I'm saying like cast is out there. It's like, yo, you might have started with some, you know, genuine. But now because you nobody could rein you in. You kind of out there. Jesus ain't real. It's just the story of Horace, re, you know, retold for white people. It's like, no, nah, that's not the case. And we can get into a historical debate about that later. Um, but I think that believers need to allow themselves to, at a minimum, contemplate some other things. That's what I've had to do over these last five or ten years is contemplate some stuff. Allow other things into my space and see if they be true. Test them. Test them and see if it be true. And um, so it's, it's gotten me to a place where I'm comfortable telling people, nah, I don't go to church. Nah, I'm, I'm good. But do I have someone who discipled me personally? Yeah. There are many people in churches who cannot say that, right? There are many people in churches who cannot say that person right there discipled me. 
But you've been in church for 25 years. What have you been doing? The Bible says go and make disciples. We preach things that we don't live. So anyway, that's where I'm at. Do you feel like you're just managing day to day? Imagine a life where you understand your purpose, you're actively pursuing your goals, you're impacting the people around you through your leadership, and you have systems in place for maximum efficiency. Well, let me introduce you to Coach Sheba. She is a leadership development coach who works with professionals, entrepreneurs, and leaders, men and women like you, who are ready to stop managing day-to-day and start leading within the circles of influence they can impact. Clients working with her team learn the value of the process that leads to growth and development within themselves and how that impacts the way they relate to their purpose, others, and time. When your mindset shifts and your behavior changes, this equates to a change that is sustainable. These changes professionally and personally will result in a changed life. Get in touch with Sheba today at www.coachsheba.com. That's C-O-A-C-H-S-H-E-E-B-A.com. Or she can be reached at 650-741-6545. Please support our sponsors the way they support our podcast and tell them you heard about it at Across the Intersection. We hope that you guys appreciate this um, sort of candid discussion we've been having here today just about our journeys and, um, you know, the the origin of this particular podcast. Yep, why we um, do this. You know, but as as you know, I can't. I can't get away from this week in the news. Mm-hmm. I can't get I can't get away from making fun of Christians when we do stupid stuff publicly. I just can't get away from that. So, uh, <laughs> so it's so unavoidable. Um, <laughs> I am like the... Uh, no, whatever. All right, Howard so Stern. yeah, <laughs> the Howard Stern of of, of, of the body, of, of the body of Christ. <laughs> oh Lord! I'm not going to get invited to any churches because like, he gonna make fun of us the moment he leaves here. Um, our friends down in the great state of Florida, uh, Miss Paula White, uh, she was on Jim Baker's television program this week. Hold on a second, wait, wait. are you yes, talking about B A K K E R? Yes, and K from back in the um, back 80s? in the eighties, yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. I, I'm sorry. I've sinned. Yes, that that. Yes, I thought it was Jerry Falwell. No, no, no. no, no that wasn't Falwell. Okay. Um, so she was on Jim Jim Baker's television program this week. I got still alive. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I don't know. I don't, kid, I don't know about right? Tammy Faye. I don't know. Nah, yeah, I think Tammy Faye is the one that passed away. Yeah, yeah a kid, something. right? Kid with like tattoos and stuff. This is the same dude. Oh, I mean, the kid turned into what one would think a kid. Oh, so this context. is the guy. Yeah, this is this with is the, Jim with Baker. The black gra- gla- um, glass frames and all that. And now he his hair wears, is. Yeah, he's like almost bald because he, yeah. like, he has like, but he still wears his glasses. Hair is yes, white now. Yeah. whatever. Anyway, but anyway, so she she was on his program with a bunch of other people. It wasn't just her and Jim. It was a couple people on that panel. Um, and she made some, you know, you know, honestly, she made some not very surprising comments. If take it out of the, the context, just, just for a minute, I'm not a fan of taking things out of context, but if you take it out of that particular situation and I were to tell you a white female pastor went on television and made a bunch of pro Trump comments, it wouldn't be very surprising. You'd be like, oh, whatever. We talked about Richard Jeffries just a couple weeks ago. So that's what I meant by taking out of the context of the television show, but now putting it, it back into the context. So she was on Jim Baker's show and, you know, be as similar to a, a bunch of, you know, clergy of the 
Caucasian persuasion um, begins to make some Trump is God's man, con, you know, comments and compares him to Esther um, talking about how he came from nothing and this, that and the third. I don't know if your dad gives you a million dollars. I don't know how you come from nothing, but nothing. If nothing is a million dollars, please I give me nothing. I want some of nothing. I want some of that nothing. So whatever. She, she, <laughs> she compares him to Esther. She calls him God's man. And, you know, this is God's guy in the White House who's going to bring back righteousness and this and that and the third. Um, talks about how, you know, God's going to use him to appoint new Supreme Court justice. The, you know, the, the run of the mill evangelical Christian, you know, nonsensical comments. Um, but what makes this one so particular, inter- so particularly interesting and why I wanted to discuss it is because Paula White is the pastor or is a pastor of a church that is predominantly African-American. So to be that aloof to what the people in your quote-unquote congregation, again, this is why I'm so critical and scrutinize Christian organizations and institutions, but to be that aloof to the plight of people who are in your very church, like to be like, it cannot go without saying that someone in that church had to have told her how the black community in in Florida was feeling. Like one person, it had to be at least one person, like, yo, Paula, let's, let's wrap. Because what you said on Jim Baker's show is, you know, outlandish. Hmm. Well, you know, thought about it a little. And I think that uh, I would not be surprised if she somebody didn't say anything. Uh, you know, when you talk about uh, clergy and um African American clergy and um that environment is very um fraternity like and republican and I mean it could be democrat but it's still it's still a certain mindset of conservatism mm-hmm. you know and well, um but just mm-hmm. culturally, you know, it's interesting. Paula White is, it's, her preaching ability is superior. She, you know, at least, especially coming from an African-American homiletic, being a white woman using an African-American homiletic, preaching to an African-American audience, or I should say church, you know, it's audience. like, it, but one would think that um, being in that cultural context would, and I'm sure from a church that size, having people who have been victims, especially in Florida, Florida is the deep south, even though people keep on denying it. Like northern Florida, yeah, that's like the south yeah, south. I yeah, I mean, yeah, and she's in central Florida, I believe. But even, I'm sure she has congregants who have been through these, you know, sorts of uh, forms of institutionalized racism. So it's just, in, being in that context just tells me, man, if you are in tune at all with your congregants, uh, there would be a different approach. Yeah, that also makes the assumption that the congregants are in tune with what's going on as well. Yeah, because um, they could you, just be getting, you yeah, know, the, fed by her, and that's who, who determines their perspective of these things. Yeah, well, what I was trying to get at is that black folks like to Christians, right? Like to like to have access to power, but black people, black people, and black people that have happen to be Christians, like black people view power as—I mean, excuse me—black people view celebrityism as power. You see, 
And so black Christians are, I would not, I wouldn't be surprised like, well, you know, she's connected to such and such. So I don't want to say anything that would sacrifice my access to this power because well, is we, that something limited to just black people or well, Americans? Well, it's, it's oppressed I, people it's groups. A, it, I mean, it, it's it, it might be oppressed people groups mm, wanting that. You, I, think? you you have to look up what is the American what what is the chief American export? Pop culture. It's two things. Is pop? It's entertainment and defense. Okay. Mm. Yeah. That's entertainment. We, yeah, yeah. Entertainment and wow. defense. Yeah, we're a managerial state. This country is like we outsource basically everything. So our what what we export is is entertainment and defense. And defense is like the government contractors that uh, ex- export weapons and 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 vehicles and equipment. Right, those right, things, right. right? For arms uh, <clears throat> across the world. But aside from that, is music, is is TV, is movies. That's it. That's what we spit out. And uh, so you talk about oppressed people people groups, but I can't speak for all oppressed people groups, but I can speak for black folks. <laughs> and and uh, we, we are, because we don't have a sense, black Americans, we don't have a sense of our history. We don't have a sense of our past. Um, we, we tend to... Um, we tend to be easily manipulated by people that are in front of us, and um, and especially if they are have yellow hair and, and pale skin. Well, yep. they could be that. They could look. They could. They could look like us. I mean, celebrity culture, athletes, entertainers, all entertainers, all that stuff. So we we're we're influenced by those things. And so when if I'm next to somebody like you know, if I'm just next to the pastor who's the local celebrity, right? Like you, armor bearer. Look, you good. I'm in front of a whole bunch of people like I have influence. Now, if I have access to someone who has access to somebody else who's influencing the entire country, then I have difficulty kind of knowing what right from wrong is and uh, or speaking up about some things. And so that, just to get to the, to, to the thing of I wonder why nobody would say anything, I think that that, that has a lot, to, a lot to do with it. I'm not justifying it. Oh no no I I, I agree I believe that there is a large segment of people in her circles circles mm. who would have that mentality who would say look I'm not trying to rock the boat exactly right? I'm not knocking over this gravy train because um, Paula White is one of 45 spiritual quote unquote advisors she posted a bunch of pictures of her and him you know when she was on the show a bunch of pictures of Flash and of of her and him she describes him. As someone who surrounds himself with Christians, and he is a Christian. This is her words, not mine. Um, she said that he is a man of integrity. Wow. Um, of, <laughs> of character. I'm using her quotes. Yeah. She, he is a humble man, a generous, humble man of character and integrity. Um, Even Donald Trump would disagree with the notion of humility, you know, Donald but, Trump but would he's say read he's two not. Corinthians. He... <laughs> yeah, two, two Corinthians or three Thessalonians. <laughs> Goodness two gracious. And she also described him as someone. He said he loves prayer, as we found out from that picture a couple weeks ago when all the folks are laying hands on him. So, I, you know, again, like I always say, these comments, right, if they're said privately, 
If you're having a private conversation with Paula, and listen, people can feel the way they feel, you know, however they feel, whatever that is. And let's say if I'm talking to her, she's talking to you, whatever. And she's like, you know, I think Trump is God's man. I think he, you know, was saying whatever she said. In private, you could be like, yo, P, I, need, I think you need to chill on that. I think you need <laughs> yo, to chill. P. I think I don't, you know, and I could show you in scripture, I could show you based on the fruit that he exhibits, because all I got to do is read Galatians 5 to you and then just show you how he presents himself. And I could, you know, we could sort of have a discussion on why that is probably not accurate. But when you go on TV, and this is what this is what blows me about Christians right now. In 2017, this is what really blows my mind about Christians. Christians do not realize in 2017, when you make public statements, they will be around the world in a matter of seconds. Even if you delete, delete, and even delete if you again. delete, this joint is going to be everywhere in a matter of seconds. What you said is going to be online and all over the world. And so all over the world, there are Christians who have seen this man for the last 18 months through the campaign and in his presidency. And now they see this woman coming up on a television program saying this is God's man. You know, interestingly enough, it took Roland Martin I think it was just yesterday. It took Roland Martin to put to post the remarks of Paula White on his show and to have a counter sermon. And it was it was really interesting. <laughs> Roland was preaching. Too. Roland <laughs> preached. I mean, I saw preaching on that whole show. Because he was quoting show. scripture and everything. Yeah, yeah. I mean, and I, you know, I have a few things, just a few responses to some mm-hmm. of the things said by both. Because there was actually an agreeable thing that Paula White said. She said, we need to pray for Trump. Yes, I actually would agree with that. We, we do we do need to pray for Trump. And the scripture does True. tell us to pray, yeah, for, our pray leaders, for our leaders. But there are so many holes. You know, she said that she's never in life seen pushback against a president, the way that people are pushing back against, um, against Trump. Uh, you know, memory is a, a very strange thing because President Obama for eight consecutive years has experienced just really like he his presidency brought people to their primal selves pictures were 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 um painted of him and you know uh, in 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 ways that were not particularly you know helpful uh, and his family things were said about his children his identity his nationality everything was questioned this is a man who it was just, was just a really good president in terms of being able to um, stand in front of people and at least present himself in a dignified way. You don't have to agree with all his policies. Nobody at this at this table or in, no thinking person agrees with every single thing that every that a person says or does. But President Obama was basically the opposite of his haters. You know, and so she also talks about or talked about principalities. She said principalities control nations by controlling a person, but Trump can't be controlled because he's a man of God. You were just mentioning fruit inspections. Yes, a fruit inspection. Actually, a third grader's fruit inspection will be able to determine whether or not Trump is a man of God. Uh, so, you know, there, there and, and of course, there are other things that, that, that she said that have, you know, that are problematic uh, related to the the fact that there are 130 seats, you know, uh, judicial positions open in lower courts and, you know, maybe Trump can do the same thing that he did concerning Gorsuch and bringing, you know, uh, filling those positions. There are issues with Gorsuch. <laughs> I mean, you know, you have Abu Ghraib. He actually, 
it's uh, uh, ruled against the pictures, the really terrible pictures of, of what American service members did in Abu Ghraib. He ruled that those pictures uh, should not be uh, seen by the American public. Like they're just so. The, so the, the, this is this is problematic. Um, Roland Martin, who. Yes, he goes to church, but he's not a pastor. He should have been eclipsed. His words should have been able to be eclipsed by Paula, by Paula White's remarks, especially considering that he's not a man of the cloth. Yet, even he jumps on the scripture in the beginning of his remarks. The cloth. Uh, yeah, by, <laughs> by talking about 1 Samuel 10. And I think that was actually really powerful. You know, the people wanted a king, so God said, God okay. gave them what they wanted, right. You know, I mean, yeah, okay, you want a king? This is what this is what type of this is the this is what you're going to get, you know. So there, you know, of course, Roland Martin said some things um, I wouldn't agree with. Oh, I think Obama was a good man by human standards, and he he's classy and all of that. But a godly man? No, I wouldn't necessarily say that. You know, so I don't know. Yeah, I wouldn't necessarily agree with Roland Martin regarding that. But I definitely agree with him bringing up First Samuel ten. Yeah, yeah. Um, I definitely agree with him pointing out the many ways that Trump isn't godly, and he listed them very specifically. You know, so there's just this was a really interesting interplay on online yesterday. I'm gonna give I'm gonna give Christians a line to really um, maybe send us some nasty comments on on uh, uh, social media. Let me let me go ahead and put up, let me go ahead and put this out there. Uh-oh. The kingdom of God and any earthly nation are not synonymous let me repeat that the kingdom of god and any earthly nation are not synonymous the bible says that god watches nations rise and he watches them fall (laughs) now anyone who sits and watches something happen it cannot be where they reside right so this notion that uh any president not just trump because this goes back i mean this goes back past obama for the eight years of G.W. Bush, his intellect was constantly questioned. Like they literally questioned the validity of how intelligent that man was. So people have been their presidents that have been assaulted personally before. Right. I don't mean physically assaulted. I'm talking about verbally assaulted personally before. This is not anything new to 245. But what this has done and we've talked about this before, this is unearthed and underbelly of society. And unfortunately, that underbelly has polluted the body of Christ. And so you have believers. If Paula White is just a woman, just some rando making these statements, I probably don't care. And this is probably not even on the podcast because people are going to say what they're going to say. But when you are making a declaration as if God himself is co-signing that joint, right? It's like, yo, this is this is thus saith the, you know, Christians throw around thus saith the Lord and declare and decree we love throwing that kind of stuff around like god is in the in the back typing while you're talking <laughs> oh they declared a decree so right, oh, i yeah. guess i have to make I it gotta done jot this down. Make it yeah, you know, he's typing shorthand while we're talking um is is <laughs> very very problematic and what it does is it continues to perpetuate the massive schisms that are in the body of christ there's nothing wrong with having your particular beliefs and having them challenged these things need to be properly vetted privately before they are proclaimed publicly. Because when you proclaim things like this publicly, what you do is you put foot in mouth, right? Insert here, foot insert in mouth. And now that it's out, it's around the world. Like I said, again, Christians are still so 
I mean, so aloof to the fact that this is now international information. It's everywhere. Um, aloof, it, aloof is is an understatement because they were on a show. They were on a dais or you know for a show or on stage for a show, and she was being amen from the audience. I don't know if you all heard oh, that. Yeah. Everything she said. Well, them, think, those people are gonna you know. I, but I thought I almost thought I heard organic. Uh, I'm sorry, organ accompaniment to everything because she was <laughs> preaching out there. The, yeah, she because. You know, those people are not used to being challenged. Yeah. Uh, and <clears throat> and uh, the the Bible isn't for them, it's for us. Exactly. So okay. I, <clears throat> uh, I can recall um, this conversation uh, about Paula White, and it had reminded me of, um, of slavery and how religion and how the bible was introduced and you introduced to to slaves and used as a tool in which to combat uh revolts and yep. um keep people docile yeah. to keep us docile to believe in uh obeying our masters and just doing as they say not as they do and um and so for her to say that you know he's a christian he surrounds himself by blah 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 but it's like you know you see in your own we see in our own eyes what he says um him him being embraced by white nationalists and nazis uh him him um dissing the previous president uh um making you know starting this whole or, or promulgating promoting this rumor of him being Muslim insinuating he's connected to terrorists. Uh, he called all, him the founder of ISIS. Founder of ISIS. All these things, you know, all all, all these all, all 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 of these uh, vitriolic behaviors. A man known for firing people and putting B-list celebrities in 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 charge of, as someone said, lemonade stands. You're fired. You know, yeah, like this is that's that's not you know what what is what is Christian about that, but. Um, what, what is American about that? And that's everything. Mm-hmm. That's everything. And so he is what Paula White aspires to be. He is what all, 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 all those people in that line aspire to be. And again, that goes back to the whole thing about celebrity. Yep. And, and um, <clears throat> but the whole thing about pray for him, the Bible, don't, whatever. What, she was saying some other stuff. I can't, I can't remember exactly what it was, but I had it earlier. It just slipped my mind. But she was saying some very, 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 very specific things. You know, people were saying this and saying that about him. You need to pray for him. You need to do this. You need to do that. Talking to black people, basically, because who else know who she is? She, she it, it's, it's, um, you know, see, these are the times when, going back to what you said earlier, you know, do you go with your, what's eternal or do you go with what's temporal, right? And so the, the switch happens and the syncretism takes place. When it's the culture, right? Because it's very much a cultural thing, is considered temporal. But when we're talking about this whole scripture stuff and God stuff and our our church practice, that's supposed to be eternal. So pray for this man and shut up and let us do what we're gonna do. Let mm. me grow my audience after these four to eight years is done, or after he steps down, gets the peach, or whatever. And now I'm more famous, right? Just let me do what I got to do and shut up is basically what she's saying. Sounds like you see a parallel between 
what may have been in existence down in Florida, well, what was in existence down in Florida in, say, 1850, a group of black people led by a white person, and what we see now at Paula White's church, a group of black people led by a white person. Are you saying that there is a direct parallel uh, between the plantation and the church? Uh, yeah, I mean, it's a direct parallel between plantations and pretty much how almost everything is run in this country. Mm. Wow. So. I want to end with this. Um, I made reference to Galatians 5, so let's just read it. And I love little, like, little new, the, the, the nuances of scripture. Um, a lot of Christians will read the scripture and just take it, you know, but I, I like to read between the lines. And so I, I want to read to you Galatians 5. I want to read 1920 all the way down to like 23. All right. It says, now the works of the flesh are obvious, sexual immorality, impurity, depravity. That talks about just moral corruptness, idolatry, sorcery, hostility, strife, jealousy, outbursts of anger, selfish rivalries, dissensions, factions, envying, murder, drunkenness, carousing and similar things. I love that. Just all that. That's anything related to that. Because we can just say, oh, see, it's not in this list, so I'm good. And he says, no, no, no. And, and the like. And I'm warning you, as I've warned you before, this is Paul who writes to the church in Galatia. The believers, the, the body of believers in Galatia. Um, uh, I have warned you before that those practices, such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control against such there's no law. Now, I just want to just point out a couple things so, you know, before we wrap. In verse 19, he says the works of the flesh are obvious. I love that word. It's obvious. Like We don't have to do any deep dissection. This is what a lot of clergy right now are trying to deceive us into having to do. Oh, no, you got to dig deep. No, 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 no. The Bible tells me that the works of the flesh are obvious. All I got to do is look and it's going to be there. I just open my eyes. Oh, there it is. And so when I open my eyes and I see a man say, oh, Mexico is just sending us their rapists. Or, hey, listen, when I open up my eyes and I see a man being co-signed by the Ku Klux Klan, just I, all I got to open my eyes. Open my, I don't have to do any research. I don't got to research. and I can just open my eyes, open my ears, and I can look and I can see. It's obvious when I can see a man running for president, sit on a bus with a reporter and say, hey, listen, I grab women by the vagina if they let me because I, I just can't help myself. Or a man who does who has the lack of humility to say, I don't need to ask for forgiveness. I'm just going to live my life. I don't ask for forgiveness, yet still be considered a Christian when forgiveness is a essential tenet. Of the faith. So, but what the scripture does say now, and uh, this is where we got to dig a little bit. It doesn't say that the fruit of the spirit is obvious. That's what it doesn't say. So we do need so to So I can't just glance, right? I, I can't just meet you one time and see the fruit of the spirit. This is where her comments are problematic. Because for her to say, oh, he's a man of humility and character and this and that and the other. How do you know? How many times have you met him? How well do you know him? For you to make those kinds of statements because the fruit of the spirit is not as obvious. 
I have to have some semblance of relationship with you to be able to make that kind of statement. Like what you just said. The only thing that she should have gotten up there and said is, listen, he's the president. As believers, we got to be in submission to that position, that office. Pray for your leaders, right? He's not God's man the same way that Obama wasn't God's man, the same way that G.W. Bush wasn't God's man. But who they are, they're the president. And as good Christians, we need to be respectful of the office, be respectful of the leader, pray for him, and let's keep it moving. Because the United States is not synonymous with the kingdom of God. Those statements she would have made, but like what you just said, that doesn't grow her audience. That doesn't grow her platform. That doesn't expand her reach as a Christian celebrity. So I have to make a little bit more outlandish statements in order to put me in these circles and put me in these places where I can get the amen and the organ accompaniment and et cetera, et cetera. Hey, Christians, stop putting foot in mouth. I'm going to call it out. Stop putting foot in mouth. I need to put a sound effect right there. I need to get like a... I love when Charlemagne, when they put that hee-haw. Give me a hee-haw. Would you give me a hee-haw? I got to find a, a Christian foot-in-mouth sound effect. So anyway, I'm going to find a sound. That's going to be pretty cool. When yeah. y'all listen to this, you're going to hear a sound effect right there. But anyway, we appreciate y'all rocking with us. Um, you know, I know we kind of got a little long. We got a little deep. We didn't go current events this week. But we wanted to show you, you know, A, where we are, where we're walking and on this journey. And, you know, our desire to, despite what's going on around us, um, to keep God in the mix, you know, despite what's going on around us with everything that you see with all of the chaos and, you know, and the like, um, remember that God is in the midst of it. It is not out of his purview. It's not out of his control. And even with folks who are going through that challenge of trying to reconcile that we were talking about earlier, which is the whole reason that we have this podcast to really reach out, you know, still keep God in the mix. So as you know, until they put me in the ground, I'm going to keep God in the mix. And so that's what you're going to hear here from us. So, again, we appreciate y'all for Eve and Avery. This is AJ saying thank y'all. Peace. Peace. Let's get started. I won't cheat you. Let me set apart who is my people. So